Today we have the honor of hearing from Gary. He's going to bring the word to us. Gary, come on up here, brother. Give him a hand. Welcome him. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see so many people here today. Um, before I get started on, on the message, I just got to get something off my chest because I experienced some stuff this, this week, um, late in the week. Obviously, we all know that our president has been, uh, has contracted the corona, coronavirus. And when you heard that news, if even for a moment, you know, in your spirit or you thought that he got what he deserves, I want to check you right now. I want to check you right now. Because I've just heard too many people in my circle, in my life, you know, that have said like, oh, he had it coming to him. And that is not what we're about as people of God. We're not about, we're not about, you know, none of us should get, if we all got what we, what we deserve, we all would be going straight to, straight to hell, okay? So let me just check everybody on that. I don't know what kind of crowd I'm dealing with here. I don't know what your political affiliation is. But if you for a moment thought that or you felt it in your spirit or you said like, well, he didn't wear a mask, he had it coming, I want to check you and I need you to repent and we need to pray for President Trump and his full healing so he can do the job that he was elected to do. All right. Now, having said that, I will say this is a very, very difficult. I had a hard time preparing this message. We're going to take a break from the book of Acts today because, frankly, Chris gave me that option and said, would you like to continue in the book of Acts? And my honest answer to him was, Chris, you've been killing acts. It's unbelievable. You've been doing a great job. I don't want to lower the bar. You know, I'm, I, I'm going to go elsewhere, okay? I'm going to go elsewhere. So before I uh, get into the message, just uh, give me a moment and let me pray. Father God, not my words, but yours. Just give your people ears to hear to digest, and to reflect on the words that you put upon my heart today. Father, I pray, Father, that through it all that you will be glorified and that we will come out of this message, Father, closer to you and better off, Father, in learning how we contribute to some of the, some of the junk and the nonsense that goes on in our world today, even as Christian people. We thank you, Lord, for your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I chose a very, very familiar scripture today. Um, I think, you know, if you've been in church for any length of time. I think you've, you're familiar with this scripture. Uh, it's Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 44. Miguel, you can put that up. And this is about the feeding of the 5,000. I'm sure just by a show of hands, who's heard about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 in here. Come on, Mike, I know you heard about it too. You can put your hand up. So I'm going to read this, and we'll tend to, I'll break it down, and, and, and hopefully you'll get the message that I'm trying to convey today. And I'll tell you, it's not, it's not so pretty. It's not so pretty. So let me read from the book of Mark. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, 
They did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all of the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. I want to read again verse 37 in that passage. It says, but he answered, you give them something to eat. The feeding of the 5,000 is, uh, is one of the few miracles of Jesus that is, is reported in all four of the Gospels. In Matthew 14 and John 6, in Luke 9 and in Mark 6 that we just read. And every gospel has a recorded event of Jesus feeding 5,000 people in the wilderness. And the prevalence of that miracle being recorded in all four gospels should not be lost on us. It's the Bible's way of telling us, of letting us know that we cannot study, we cannot read, we cannot try to follow the life of Jesus and not be reminded that Jesus cares about those in need. That while the ministry of Jesus is to save souls, it is through the feeding of hungry bellies and showing love and compassion to others in need or those with less than that paves the way for folks being receptive to the message that we are getting to them to Jesus' way of life, to his ideology, his doctrine, if you will. And as you read the miracle of, of, of the feeding of the 5,000 people uh, with, with five loaves and with two fish, it is not simply meant to record a miracle, but it's also meant to share a mission and a mandate upon every generation of Christian that follows. 
You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. In each of the four Gospels, there's a different context of what's happening that causes Jesus to be in the predicament that he's in. If you read about it in John, it's simply that Jesus was working so many miracles and got tired and he needed a break. If you read about it in Luke, it's that Jesus had given authority to the disciples to go out and minister and they've come back and Jesus wants to hear the report and, and, and knows that they're tired and Jesus says, Let, let's take a break. In Matthew, is that John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, has just been executed and Jesus wants to get away and have some private time to mourn. Well, Mark kind of brings it all together. According to Mark, Jesus has been working miracles and he's popular. The disciples have had success on their assignment and Jesus wants them to get a break. And John has just been executed. And because of all that, Jesus gathers the 12 disciples together, and this is what he says. He says, let's get in a boat, let's go across the Sea of Galilee to a place that's quiet so we can get some rest after a long day's work. The problem is the crowd sees Jesus and the disciples getting in the boat, and the Bible says that the crowd runs along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and beats Jesus and the disciples to their destination. They won't leave them alone. When Jesus sees them, he's not angry. It says he has compassion on them because they look like sheep without a shepherd. So he begins to teach them things about the kingdom of God and what it means to walk in the light of God's love. And while Jesus is teaching the crowd, the disciples show up and tell Jesus, we got a problem. We got a couple of problems. The first problem is it's getting late. It's late in the day. Been out here all day teaching these people, ministering to them. And Jesus, I don't know if we, if we about that. We've done our job. The second problem is the people are hungry. Long day, people are kind of zealous for the word, but they haven't had anything to eat. I would submit to you that maybe some people are even hangry. You guys know what hangry is, right? <laughs> you know you're hungry, and you're so hungry that you're angry. Yeah, my wife is looking at me. My wife, my wife gets hangry. <laughs> you know, you got to get that woman some food. The third problem is they are in the wilderness. Y'all know what wilderness is? They're in a place where there's no food. I mean, there's no Starbucks like on the corner or Cracker, cracker Barrel down the road. There's no McDonald's. They're in the wilderness. They're in the boondocks, the backcountry. You know, the wasteland, you know, away from civilization, away from the mainstream where all the amenities and the luxuries are. They're in the wilderness. 
Wilderness is where resources are not equally accessible to everybody. Wilderness is where food insecurity is a horrible reality. Wilderness is where public schools are not equally funded depending upon the community they reside in. Wilderness is where civil rights are not protected and honored because of the color of your skin or who you sleep with. That's wilderness. Wilderness is where the arm of justice largely depends on how much money you got in the bank or on your status or your network and not on the merits of the case. That's wilderness. Wilderness is where the playing field is not level. Wilderness is where after uh, uh, over 100 years of, of the women's suffrage movement, that you can still have women performing the same job as men and not getting equal pay. That's wilderness. Wilderness is where the Senate leadership can change the rules when they want and how they want when it comes to putting a Supreme Court justice up for confirmation, depending on what they want to accomplish to support their agenda and feel unashamedly justified in doing so, despite advocating for the exact opposite in the previous administration. That's wilderness. Wilderness is where countless communities and countless communities across our great country that there are folks afraid to step out of their front door because there's a war zone outside and there are bullets flying left and right and they may get killed. That's wilderness. We are in the midst of wilderness. Can somebody say wilderness? wilderness. So what do you do in the wilderness? What do you do when the playing field is not level? What do you do when evil seems to dominate? What do you do when resources are not accessible to all? What do you do in the wilderness? Well, let me tell you what the disciples did. When they encountered this problem in the wilderness, they told Jesus all about it. Let me give you some good advice. If you ever find yourself in a wilderness situation, here's what you ought to do. You ought to get on your knees by the side of your bed, raise your hands to the Lord and say, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. That's what we do in wilderness. If you didn't get that, it means we need to pray. People of God, if, we didn't, if you don't get it, it means we need to pray. There's something that happens when the people of God submit themselves to his holiness, get on their knees and pray. Amen. Does anybody here believe that? Amen. There's something that happens that when you talk to the Lord, the Lord will make a way. We need to pray. There's something that happens when God's people calls on his name. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face 
and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. That's the scripture in 2 Chronicles. So the disciples tell Jesus all about it. Okay, we may be excited about the prayer part. I heard a few amens out there. So let's see how you take the answer. They tell Jesus there's a problem in the wilderness, and Jesus looks back at them, and Jesus says, you give them something to eat. That's what Jesus said. You give them something to eat. You see, what happens here is they gave the problems to Jesus. And Jesus gave it right back to them. I can just imagine Jesus, you know, the disciples say, we got a problem in the, in the wilderness, Jesus. What should we do? And Jesus said, yeah, we do have a problem in the wilderness. You take care of it. Jesus gave it right back to them. The answer to the prayer, to our prayer, is you give them something to eat. You take care of those in the wilderness. You advocate for those that don't have a voice. You fund those who need a way. You provide for those who have less than. The answer to your prayer is you. You give them something to eat. Church, that answer is not only to the disciples. It is pressed upon every generation of Christian that follows. Our commandment from the Lord is not simply to make disciples. Our commandment is not simply to come to church and raise our hands and praise and sing hymns to the Lord and, and, and to do all the things that we do on Sunday morning. Our commandment is you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now notice that when the Lord tells them you give them something to eat, the way the Bible plays this out, there are two different responses. Because whenever the Lord calls us to engage of matters pertaining to those who need advocacy, there are always two Christian responses. Always two Christian responses. On the one hand, there are the disciples. And on the other hand, there's a little boy. So you say, Gary, what, what little boy are you talking about? I want to highlight the telling of this same story, the feeding of the 5,000. I'm going to jump to the book of John. Because I'm sure you're asking, who is this little boy? How did a little boy get in the picture? In John 6, 5 through 9, it reads, and I have that uh, slide. Miguel has that for you. It says, when Jesus looked up, and this is the same story, the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far, how far will they go among so many? That's the little boy I reference. 
So for the remaining time I have, allow me to compare and contrast the disciples on the one hand and the little boy. And you may be shocked that, that in this instance, you may be shocked to find out that the disciples are not the ones to follow. I would argue that the hero in this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is the little boy. Watch what happens. There's a problem in the wilderness. The people are hungry. There is no food, no, no adequate resources to satisfy that problem. People are in bad shape in the wilderness. And the disciples get together and they come up with a strategic plan. The disciples come to Jesus and, and this is what they say. Lord, send them away. Jesus, this ain't our problem. Lord, we don't want nothing to do with these people and this problem. Lord, send them away. And to make it worse, they come up with a, with a B option. And they tell them, you go get your own food. We tired. We worked hard. You, you go get your own food. They tell them to do what we did and work hard. They tell them to climb up the ladder the same way we climbed up the ladder to get to where we are. This is the group that sees someone in need and blames them. We don't know anybody like that, do we? We don't know anybody like that. You've heard it. Maybe you've even said it or, or, or thought it. You know, lazy, deadbeat, immoral, overly promiscuous. They ain't trying to work. They just want handouts. We all heard that. We don't help that crowd. Make them get out of here and go help themselves be like us. These disciples say, we don't want anything to do with them. Send them away. Can I push this a little bit? No. No. These are some of our evangelical leaders out there. These are some of our brothers and sisters who worship, who seem to worship with their eyes closed, who seem to love God in the sanctuary, but don't care about God's people in the street. Okay, I, I gotta go there. I gotta go there. Here's the problem. The group that wants to send people away the Lord just laid hands on them. Let's go back to the story. The Lord's just laid hands on them and, and had given them the power to preach the good news. They just left a revival. The disciples just left a revival. And now they're in the wilderness and they don't care about the very people that they've been preaching to. How can you preach the gospel to my soul? 
and not care about my physical well-being. How can you tell folks who they should sleep with and not care if they have a place to sleep? How can you be so concerned about life in the womb and not care about life in the street? How can we throw the baby out with the bathwater? How can we, how can we, yes, we got to hate the sin, but we got to love the sinner. You give them something to eat. There is something wrong with the Christians that say, send them away. It's not my problem. Make them do what, what, what I did. Yeah, I'm self-righteous. I worked my way from the bottom up. I had a job every day of my life. I didn't, I didn't abuse drugs. You know, I didn't beat my wife. I didn't divorce my wife and, and leave my kids stranded. I got a place to live. I'm not homeless. I didn't wreck my life into homelessness. In essence, I'm better than them. I earned my way. I made my way. I don't need nothing from nobody. I can do it all by myself. Don't ask me to help those people. I don't mess with those crowds. I don't play that game. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. So the disciples want nothing to do with them. And in the midst of the disciples wanting nothing to do with them, here comes a little boy. There's a little boy in the crowd who sees his folks hungry, who sees his people in need. Nobody has to beg him or push him. Something inside of him says that if my people are in need, then I have a divine responsibility to do something to help my people that I just cannot sit by and watch my people struggle and use Christianity as an excuse to say, it is not my responsibility. There is something wrong with our Christianity if when we see people in need, we say, get them away from me. At some point, the little boy in us ought to come out. A theologian by the name of Howard Thurman put it this way. He said, the power of prayer is directly connected to your being willing to be part of God's answer. I don't think y'all heard that. Y'all too quiet in here. The power of prayer is directly connected to your being willing to be part of God's answer. The power of prayer is not how many, how many you know, uh, uh, prayers you can raise up or how long you spend in prayer. The power of prayer is not how many tongues you can talk in. The power of prayer is not how many scriptures you can throw out in the midst of your prayer. The power of prayer is not speaking in a bunch of religious cliches and rhetoric, you know, so people like the Pharisees can say, oh, yeah, yeah, that guy can pray. He, he's in the word. The power of prayer is when you pray at the end of it, you say, Lord, I'm available. Use me. Amen. Here are my words. Here are my hands. Here's my heart. Here is my voice. God, I'm here, all of me. Use me. 
Use me to solve some of these problems, God, that exist out here in the world today. Use me to not only just pray about it, but to do something about it if I'm, if I'm willing and if I'm able. Use me to, 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 to be the voice of the voiceless. Use me to advocate for those who, don't, who are less than, who don't have. Use me. I submit to you that that's the power of prayer. When we say, God, use me to help answer some of these needs that are out here today. So the disciples want nothing to do with them. The little boy says, I want to be part of the answer. There's more. Let me see if you catch this. So the disciples come to Jesus. They complain about what's going on in the wilderness. They tell Jesus, we don't have enough to feed the people. And Jesus' first question to them is, what you got? Oh, I'm sorry. What do you have? <laughs> yeah, I know. Y'all thinking like, yeah, that, that, that dude ain't speaking great English out there. Y'all okay? What you got? The disciples come to Jesus. They complain. You know, they, they, they were complaining about a problem in the wilderness. They tell Jesus we don't have enough. And Jesus' first response is, what you got? Y'all like that? Yeah. They come to Jesus complaining about a problem in the wilderness, talking about all the stuff they don't have. And Jesus' first question is, well, tell me what you got. So here it is. You coming to me complaining about what you can't do, talking about what you don't have, you know, but you haven't even taken the time to look and see what I've already put in your hands and on your heart, realizing that you have something you can use to help fix the problem. So Jesus tells them, go and see. You go take inventory, and then you come back to me and you tell me, tell me what you got. Tell me what you found. Go look at what you really got. Stop coming to church Sunday after Sunday talking about what you don't have and realize that God has blessed you with something and that nobody comes in with nothing. The reason the Lord tells them to go and see, the implication here is you always have more than you think you do. You always have more than you think you do. You need to hear that because in the wilderness, the devil seeks to blind you to the blessing that God has already given you by making you focus on the problem and forget that God has already put stuff in your hands that you have and that you can use. You have more than you think. And the story shows this. So watch this. Watch what happens. Jesus ain't playing here. Watch this. Jesus says, go see how much bread you have. So they go take inventory, they come back, and here's their answer. Uh, we got five loaves of bread and two fish. Y'all don't get it. Y'all don't get it. Hold up, let me say that again. <laughs> Jesus says, go see how much bread you have. He ain't said nothing about no fish. Oh, I'm sorry. He didn't say anything about any fish. <laughs> He said, how much bread do you have? 
They take inventory. They come back, and here's their answer. We got five loaves of bread and two fish. We've got more than we thought we did. We got more than we thought we did. Church folks, can we agree that when we look at our lives that we'd be surprised that we have more than we thought we did? Amen. Can we? We got some and two, just like the disciples had the five loaves of bread and two fish. I would submit to you that we all have some and in our lives. God is always giving you more than you thought. You and I have some and in our lives. We have food and clothing, joy and peace, health and strength, grace and mercy. We need to start praising God for the ands in our life and not concentrating on all the things we don't have. Okay. So the disciples, despite now finding out that they have more than they thought they had, more than they knew, they still minimized it. And, and listen how they presented to Jesus. Jesus said, what you got? Um, Jesus, uh, all we got is five loaves and two fish. Can, can y'all hear the disrespect in that answer? They've already forgotten that they got more than they thought they had. Uh, Jesus, all we have is five loaves and two fish. Now, I don't know everybody's background in here, but I would, I would venture to say that, you know, everybody grows up differently. And many of y'all probably didn't grow up how I grew up. But, but see, there, there's something to this. In, in my community and the vernacular that's presented there. You know, everybody's background is different. We grew up different. But, you know, things mean different things to different people in different cultures. So, so let, me, let me tell you that how, how the disciples presented that to Jesus, like how we would interpret it in my community, in the black community. You see, when, when black folks say little, they, they disrespecting or throwing hate on something. They throwing shade on something. When they say little, they throwing shade on something. You know, in, in case you don't know, you know, they, they, you know, there goes Scott and his little friends. You know, Scott over there with his little friend. Oh, I see Mary back there. You know, she got her little earrings on. Her little earrings. You know. Where's my girl Sarah at? Yeah, she got little, little purple in her hair. That little purple she got in her hair, you know. I mean, that's what we do. We just throwing shade on folks, you know. We're minimizing it. You know, we're making light of it. You know, I don't know if y'all ever grew up, you know. Y'all probably don't know that. It's probably news of y'all, but that's what we do. You know, if I go to the gym and they go, like, oh, look at Gary. He got, them, he got little new shoes on. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, dude, stop hating, man. Stop hating. Don't do that, you know. Don't do that, you know. But that's what it means. And, and, and so that's the disrespect and what the, God, what, what, what the disciples are saying here, you know, when, when they come back to Jesus. Like, well, well, Jesus, all we got is, you know, uh, five loaves of bread, you know, a little two fish, you know. They didn't appreciate what they had in their hands. 
But for the little boy, the bread and the fish was not little. It was all he had, and he was grateful for the little bit that he had. So watch what happens. And I'm going to wrap up here, folks. I'm going to wrap up. I know some of y'all think y'all in the wilderness right now, you know, uh, you know, when when, when we're going to get out of here, you know. Watch what happens. Just ride with me for a few minutes. So Jesus takes the little bread and the little fish, and what does he do? He multiplies it. Oh, somebody said he blesses it. You know what? Let me, let me be biblically correct. I don't care. I, I might run a little late. But you're right. He blesses it. It's not just that he multiplies it because I left out that step. Right? It really doesn't just get multiplied. There's something that has to be done to get it to multiply, and which is part of the miracle. Jesus takes the little bread and the little fish. He lifts it up to heaven, and he says, God, I thank you for the little bit of, that I have. And when he give, gives thanks, it multiplies. Church, I challenge you to take whatever you have and lift it up to God and tell the Lord, thank you for what you've blessed me with and watch it multiply. Many of you are living this miracle today or probably have lived it in the past. You know, probably from humble beginnings, had a little You know, God blessed it and it's multiplied. And and here you are today with probably more than you you could ever imagine that you would have. Can can I make a confession? I mean, honestly, I'll just make a confession here. I never even thought I was going to go to college. Single mother, broken household, an older brother and an older sister in college. I'm making $90 a week scooping ice cream at a Friendly's Ice Cream in Northern Virginia. And nobody could tell me that I won't get paid. Every Friday, $90. And I made a decision in my mind. I'm like, you know what? I have no idea how my brother, how my sister's going to college. My aspiration at that point was to become the manager at 16 years old, while I was in high school, to become the manager of that Friendly's restaurant. Why not? I'm getting paid. John Filling, my manager, looked like he was living a pretty decent life. Mama ain't got no money to send me to college. You know, we broke. We ain't got nothing. And as the story goes, I come home in March of my senior year, and my mother says, uh, 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 and and we're living in a two-bedroom apartment. She says, so in March, I'm graduating in June. In Virginia, D.C. area, you graduate in June. And she says, "Uh, you heard from any colleges yet? (laughs) <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I said, Ma, come on now. You can't, you, you can't afford to send me to college. And those were the worst words I said. She said, you don't worry about how you get to college. And when I get from work tomorrow, you ought to have a list of colleges that you're interested in. And you don't worry about it. That's what she told me. And if it weren't for those words, I probably would, may still be at that friendly restaurant today. I know what it is to have little, to lift it up to the Lord and say, thank you for what I have. I'm content. And the Lord has multiplied it. I'm here today standing and telling you that I have a beautiful family. I have more than I ever imagined I would ever achieve in this life. And not because Gary did everything right or Gary's righteous, because God had mercy on me and he showed me grace and God has multiplied what little he gave me because I was thankful and I gave thanks. 
Somebody say amen. Amen. Many of you have lived that same miracle. Thanksgiving leads to multiplication. And maybe your bread and your fish ain't doing much because you haven't learned to be thankful yet. So the disciples don't want anything to do with them. The boy says, this is my people. The disciples don't value what they have in their hand. It's only five loaves of bread, two fish. The little boy knows what happens when you give thanks. Okay, one more point before I close. I know. I know. We'll be good. We'll be good. Cracker Barrel will still be there, and they'll be open, and they'll be ready to serve you. One more point. And, and quite frankly, I missed this. I missed this going through this scripture. And I've missed it for years because I've read this story over and over and over again. The disciples see the problem. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And the disciples say, the disciples say we don't have enough. That's about how it goes, right? That, I mean, that's how we all interpret it. But actually, that is factually incorrect if we read the Bible. That's like, that's what we call like kind of a freelance interpretation. Yeah, I think we can imply that, but let's see. That's actually wrong. That's not what they said. They complained. Jesus said, you go feed them. And this is what they said. They said, Jesus, that would take a half year of our salary to feed all them people. That's what they said. Do you really want us to spend that much on them? They didn't say we don't have enough. They said, Lord, uh, we we did the math. We counted all the people out there. That would cost a half year of our salary, and you want me to spend my money, my effort, my time to feed them people? We're supposed to be resting, remember? We took the boat to come over here to rest. And now you're telling me you want me to do all of this and feed those people? We preached to them already. Now, not only do you want us to feed them, we're supposed to spend our money and serve them too? This is what the brother would say. Say, Jesus, you must be tripping. Hey, Jesus, you bugging. You surely can't be serious. So listen here. The issue here is not ability and, and not even resources. The issue here is generosity. You want me to give my money to them? To that? To those? Their hearts were closed to giving. Their hearts were closed to giving. The price was too high. The sacrifice would have been too much. I work for this. I earn mine. And you want me to, to, to just give it to the people after I already preached to them? Come on now, Jesus. I mean, I like you and all, Jesus, but I mean, come on now. We got to draw the line somewhere. We got to draw the line somewhere. 
those folks they preached to weren't important enough to them. And in comparison, we see a little boy who brings what he has to the Lord, everything he has to the Lord. You see the difference? Disciples who don't want to give and a little boy who gives everything he has. And this I know I didn't miss in the story. If the little boy didn't give the bread and the fish, no miracle would have happened. He realizes miracles for my people demand that I release what I have. Miracles in our world today, all the problems that we see, all the things that we've probably even prayed about, all the unrest in the streets, all the political divisiveness, all of that, there could be a miracle waiting to happen if only we would give what we have. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's money. I don't know if that's time. I don't know if that's just persistent prayer. I don't know what that is. But I'll challenge you on this. Each and, every one of, each and every one of us in here, we need to find out what that is. We need to find out what we can give to people in the wilderness, to people in the wilderness situation, to our country, to see if we can be part of the answer, of the miracle in fixing the problem. And folks, let me tell you, we, we do need a miracle. We do need a miracle. I got another piece I'd like to share, but I'm, I'm going I'm to stop it right there. I'm going to stop it right there. And before we stand up and pray, I just want everybody in here to do what I did during the last week as I kind of stewed over this message and quite frankly was somewhat a little bit nervous about it. And I prayed and I said, God, just confirm in me if your people need to hear this. And this message wasn't so much for you as much as it was for me. I'm just going to be honest. I even told my wife. I said I might be embarking upon some ground that might offend some people. What do you think? She said, don't go offending nobody up in there. <laughs> I said, that's not the intent. And I still hadn't made the decision. And I prayed about it. And yesterday, there was no doubt in my mind that this is exactly the message that genuine people of God needed to hear. You know, a while ago, I think I told Scott this, a pastor friend of mine had told me that one of the reasons he never preached about uh, giving in the Bible, you know, tithing and all of that, was because the general perception is if a pastor's out there preaching about giving, that it's self-centered, you know, that I don't want to make it look like I'm trying to talk to the people to give, you know, because I'm getting paid from salary and all of that. And in that moment, I told my pastor friend, I said, well, 
and easy for me to say, because I went through all of this, you know, trying to figure out this message. It was easy for me to say because, you know, I'm not involved. But I told my pastor friend, I said, I said, Lawrence, if you don't preach about it and it's in the Bible, you're, you're not preaching the word of God. You can't pick and choose the, you know, the comfortable things in the word and say like, oh, I'll share that with my people. And then the uncomfortable things we say like, yeah, I might, I might offend somebody. I might offend somebody. That's where I was this week. That's where I was this week. So Riverstone, I hope you're receptive to that message. I love you guys. Uh, you know, I challenge you to see where you find yourself in this story, in the feeding of the 5,000. I challenge you to try to be like, you know, to let the little boy come out in you, you know, to, see, to give everything you have to the mission of God. To be thankful for what he's blessed you with. To raise it to him and watch it multiply. Let's stand and pray.